pipe, oh, and it's yeah. blocked, and it, it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! But without further ado, let's get into it. So the Saints injury report, the initial injury report, some positive things, honestly, some positive developments here, and mainly in the form of Taysom Hill and Rashid Shaheed, both of whom got back to practice this week. I talked to Rashid today. You know, the, the, the Rashid injury is kind of funny because it's one of those, you know, kind of, yeah, you hate Derek Carr, you're going to find a reason to hate him. There's a there's a throw that Derek left behind Rashid, and there's this weird kind of rumor going around that that's where Rashid got hurt. It's not. Rashid got hurt on the first offensive play of the game. I asked him today when he got hurt, and he said, yes, it was that play. He kind of gutted through it. There are there were moments where he was on the sideline, and it felt good, and he went back in, and then all of a sudden you try to go top speed, and you don't. And that's why it took so long for him to get back because when you're a top end speed guy and you're dealing with soft tissue stuff, it's like you can't like Rashid at 70% is still a good NFL player, but you lose the ability to do the thing that sets you apart, which is to go way faster than everybody else. So it feels like he's back to that. He told me that he's very confident he's going to play, even though he was limited today. He's very confident. So that was a good thing. Taysom Hill also back at practice. Another really good development it's tough because you're dealing with a foot injury, you're dealing with a hand injury. Neither of them seems mega significant, but you've got to reach a point that you can do what you have to do on the field. And that's that's where you're going to try to figure it. It's like you don't want a 60% taste of them out there because is that it's not helping you, right? Like you want him to be at the level where you can trust him to do what he needs to do. So either way, back at practice on Wednesday, that's a good sign. Derek Carr is not on this injury report, which is a good thing. Uh, he's still, you know, he's got the maintenance that he's been doing, but doesn't seem like that's going to be a factor in terms of we don't need to talk about who's going to start a quarterback this week. It's obviously going to be Derek Carr. So let's go. There's four players who didn't practice today. So let's go through those. Defensive end, Isaiah Foskey, uh, running back, Kendra Miller. These are two very frustrating injuries to me personally. And it's because like these are rookies. You want to see the rookies play and get better. And they can't do that because they can't get on the field. We've asked Dennis Allen about Kendra multiple times. He said it's not a setback. He says his rehab is kind of plateaued, whatever the hell that means. It just doesn't sound like you're going to be getting him back this week. And, you know, frankly, when you're out five, six weeks, it's like, why not just put him on IR and bring someone else in? But, hey, that's that's not my uh, not my decision to make. But, you know, especially for Isaiah Foskey, because he's dealing with that quad injury, which is the initial injury he had in week nine, came back in week week 13 against the Lions, played, wasn't particularly effective, back on in, in the injury report with that quad injury. Wouldn't be surprised if it's something he deals with the rest of the season. No Peyton Turner here. I was hopeful you might be able to get him back to practice this week. He's around the team. We've seen him, right? He's working. 
uh, but clearly not ready to get back. It was a significant injury. I think Nick Underhill reported that it was two two dislocated toes. You know, it's just that anytime it's a foot, it's tough. Um, but definitely not this week. If he was going to be back this week, he would be practicing this week. So nothing from him as of yet. The next two names, the other two DMPs were surprises that arrived on the injury report this week, or at least with those injuries. Chris Olave didn't practice dealing with an ankle issue. Now he was dealing with an illness all last week and he didn't practice Thursday or Friday. He did get through the game in week 14. He didn't leave. He never went to the injury tent. So I would imagine that this is not a super significant ankle injury. It's just kind of a maintenance thing, but we will have to see as the week goes on. Like I said, I talked to him after the game. He looked fine. So like you didn't see him go down. It's just probably just something that happened in the game and you're just managing it. So we'll have to watch, but I would be surprised if Chris does not return to practice either Thursday or Friday. The final one is Andres Pete dealing with an illness. He was a DMP, but... Dennis Allen said he does not expect that to be anything significant. So he should get Andres Pete back. Two rest days, Jimmy Graham and Ryan Ramchek. You know, those are kind of the standard Wednesday rest days. Wouldn't be concerned about any of that. And hey, we gave Jimmy grief for getting rest days and not playing. Well, he's playing now. So we can go back to just being like, oh, he's old, you know. <laughs> but Jimmy Graham got rest days. As we mentioned, Taysom Hill was back. Defensive end Cameron Jordan, ankle limited. You may have seen, if you follow him on Twitter, you also saw that he had a community event. He does community events on Mondays, most weeks. And this week he was at politics uh, in New Orleans and there were gunshots fired outside of the event, which he, he he made like a cryptic tweet on Monday about like, Oh, I hope everyone stays safe and this and that. And it was like, Hmm, what's going on? I, I, the, the, his follow-up tweet this morning or Tuesday morning, I should say, <laughs> confused me for a second because I thought he was saying it was a political argument, uh, but he was saying it was outside of politics, the place, the business. So, But it's nothing to be worried about for him. He is still dealing with his ankle injury, but he's played the last two weeks. If anything, he's getting closer and closer to 100%. His snap count went up. Um, so I think you're, you're fine there. You're just managing it. Uh, the only other injury to talk about from the Saints' perspective Jamal Williams dealing with a groin issue. And I have a feeling that, you know, I don't think it's anything major, but when you look at, okay, you brought in running backs this week to work out. James Robinson was signed. I did. They, they haven't, yeah, I, I still haven't seen an official announcement, but he was at practice. Dennis Allen said he had a good practice. He's on the practice squad. He is not on the active roster. And I think so that signing is kind of like, well, you, you know, our numbers at running back are kind of thin. Right, like you have Alvin Kamara, you have Jamal Williams, and that's really it. Other than Jordan Mims, is not a guy you exactly are going to bank on coming up from the practice squad. Kendra is not really available. Taysom should be available, but you don't know. So I think it's just a matter of adding a body just in case Jamal can't go, and so you have someone with NFL experience that you could potentially put into a role. James Robinson isn't a guy who has done much in the NFL as of late, but he was a thousand yard rusher in his rookie season uh, with the Jaguars. He did have a solid second season, but then he tore his Achilles. And I don't think he's ever really gotten back from that, right? Like the Jags traded him to the Jets for a sixth round pick after Brees Hall got hurt and then didn't really make an impact. The Patriots signed him prior to the season. Didn't really latch on there, obviously. He ended up on the Giants for a stretch. He ended up on the Packers for a stretch. There is kind of that 
you know, maybe you're trying to get some insight on the, on the Giants off the running game. I, I don't know. Maybe he did spend time with the Giants. You're facing the Giants this week, but I don't know how much how much actual info you'll be able to get from a guy who just got a cup of coffee with a team. I don't even know if he, you know, maybe he still has a copy of the playbook. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't expect a ton out of James Robinson, but he is here going to the opposite side on the Giants side of the equation. You have all limited and then one full participant. No one missed practice, but they also didn't actually practice. It was a walkthrough because they played on Monday, but you have defensive back Cordell Flott dealing with a shoulder Defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence, who I would argue is their best player, uh, at least on defense, dealing with a hamstring injury. He was limited. Uh, tackle Evan Neal, an ankle injury. He was limited. Linebacker, edge rusher, whatever you call him, whatever you want to call him. Aziz Ojolari is dealing with a shoulder. Another defensive tackle, Ashawn Robinson, hamstring slash finger. And then wide receiver Paris Campbell. He's dealing with a knee, but he was a full participant. That's where you are. You're dealing with that. Um, I don't have major concerns about anyone's availability on this list that we don't expect, right? So Kendra and Isaiah, I don't expect them to play just what you've had, right? You, the same situation you've been in. And then Olave, Pete, I expect them to be back and playing. Rashid, Taysom, I expect Rashid back. Taysom's a bit more of a question, um, but you're going to go from there. Either way, I think as you look at it, you are getting healthier, uh, at a point where you really need to be healthy, put your best foot forward, get this win over the Giants. You know, I think the Giants are in a more difficult situation here. They're playing on a short week. They're going on the road, right? And and from a, the Saints' perspective, like, I don't know how much of an advantage it is from a scouting perspective, but it has to at least help somewhat that that you're able to sit and watch the game uh, and, and, and just, like, casually pay like see what the giants are doing on both sides of the ball the giants like to blitz a lot you know they, they have some playmakers on defense right i think their talent is mostly distributed on the defensive side of the ball and then you have saquon barkley on the offensive side of the ball and then a bunch of meh right like tommy devito is gonna be a whole lot of fun to do this the whole game like yeah paisan and everything but you know i wouldn't exactly say they're loaded with talent on the offensive side of the ball right you're throwing a guy's Named Wandale Robinson, Isaiah Hodgins, right? Guys like that. They can make plays, but it's going to be the defense that you have to worry about for this Giants team and, and not allow them to make the big plays. And uh, so I think that's where we are. But all right, let's continue with the podcast. Again, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. If you haven't subscribed, do that. Ring the bell on YouTube if that's where you're watching. Uh, head us up anywhere you get your podcast leave a rating leave a review we'll be coming back I just want to kind of quickly go through what's lo- what what the schedule is actually looking like what what you should feel like the chances are you know this isn't going to be any in-depth analysis of the Rams or the or the Bucks or whatever but we're just going to kind of look at the standings where everyone sits why six and seven kind of feels like just where the NFL is right now <laughs> and we're going to go from there but all right thanks everyone for listening who that stick around and we're back on this wednesday edition of inside black and gold i am jeff nowak this segment just want to go through kind of what's coming up why this is a chance for this team to kind of make a statement tell you who they are 
I know there's a lot of people out there who've already quit on the season, but you know, it, it, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of good reasons to not do that. <laughs> right. Because this is a setup that you can go out and make a statement, right? This is a setup where you should be able to get excited. If the Saints can go out and beat the giants and then beat the Rams and then come into these final two games uh, with a chance to go out and win the division. Right. Like, I don't know why you would give up on that before it's before it's had a chance to play out. Like I get it, you don't like Dennis Allen, you don't like Derek Carr, but there's there that's not the entire team, right? Like there should be reasons to to allow yourself to have a good time watching football, <laughs> right? That's the part of it I don't get. The toxicity I don't get. Like you, you, you don't like this, you don't like this, and so you've given up. Um, but. Either way, let's go through it. So the Saints, obviously, they're going to host the Giants this week. They get the Giants on a short week. And so when you're looking at this, it really does feel like the schedule makers did the Saints a bit of a favor over these final four games because you look at it. So you get the Giants on a short week. This is a Giants team that's won three games, but not a team that's done anything spectacular or is immensely talented to the point where you're like, wow, they finally figured it out and they're going to be a wrecking ball. Now they beat... The Patriots, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL, if not, you know, like by record, they're not the worst, but they're not that much better than the Panthers. They beat the Commanders, who are one of the four teams that has fewer than five wins in the NFL. So not a good team there either. And also a team that never beats the Giants, no matter how bad the Giants are. And then, yes, they beat the Packers this past week. They played well. Um, But, you know, you're getting them at home. They're not going to have that energy from their crowd. You should be able to win this game. Right. And this is, and I think that, you know, this is kind of a measuring stick game because, again, you should be, you are favored. You should go out and win it. And if you can, then kind of tells you where you are, right? Like you're in the middle of the pack, but, but at what, you know, everyone's in the middle of the pack. So how are you in that? Right. But I do think it really kind of does get favorable in the sense that, yeah, you have to go out to the, to face the Rams on the West Coast. Obviously, not an easy trip but not the most daunting trip you've ever seen, right? It's not like you're going out to face the 49ers. Like you're going out to face a Rams team that is good, but is beatable. I think it's going to, a lot is going to depend on how your defense uh, shows up in that game. Cause I don't think the Rams defense is anything to write home about and you're going to have to score to keep up. But I do think the defense is going to play a major role in, in terms of, you know, how many points can you limit them to? Like you saw that they put up they put up 31, I think, against the Ravens. You know, it's a very good defense. So you're going to have to figure that out. But, you know, however you come out of those games, even if you come out at one and one, you give yourself a chance. Um, but it has to be you have to beat the Giants. It cannot be uh, one and one with a loss to the Giants. I'm sorry. Like you, you're going to lose everything, all your momentum if you allow that to happen. <laughs> so anyway. But then you look at the rest of the week. So your week 17 and 18, you get the Bucks on the road. But if you, if I had to pick one road stadium that I would want the Saints to have to play in, you know, in a big game, it would be Raymond James Stadium. <laughs> Even when the Saints have been bad. Last year, they were bad and they blew that game in Raymond James Stadium, but they still played very well for the first three and a half quarters, right? So in the sense of, okay, the least daunting road trip you could possibly have, it would be facing the Bucs uh, on the road against, you know, Baker Mayfield, whatever. Um, you also get 10 days to kind of rest up for that game. So that's a, you get a rest advantage there. And then you get the Falcons at home. And if you do everything else correctly, that's a, that could be a winner take all game and you get it in your building. So from that perspective, 
there is nothing here where you look at it and you say, you know, other than that road trip that you that you're feeling negatively in terms of schedule losses. I, I also, you know, I, I talked to Rashid and I asked him, it's like, because my in, my my interpretation is if there's a Thursday night game, like te- players typically don't want to play on Thursday night, right? Like that's not fun. Three days of, you know, three, losing three days of rest is not good for anybody. It's all about money and the players understand that and they'll go play in it because they have to, but no one wants it. Well, if there was a Thursday night game that people might actually sign up for, it's the Thursday night game that means you don't have to play on Christmas Eve. And so you can spend Christmas with your family. Um, you know, that's for me, I, I appreciate that. I'm going to hang out in LA for the weekend and and spend Christmas out there. Um, and, and I know Rashid kind of wants to do that too. I'm just not sure he knows whether he's allowed to or not <laughs> because he's from San Diego. I'm sure he would love to hang out there for the weekend too. And it's just a matter of whether whether that's okay or not. I, I don't know. But, you know, that's that's kind of where you're at. But either way, the the end of the season does not is not daunting. And then so I just want to and I know this is small, so just bear with me. But, you know, look, look you look at the, the, the standings in the NFL. And that's why you, you talk about the Saints and you're like, yeah, six and seven, this sucks. Well, six and seven, I mean, you know how many teams in the NFC have a winning record right now? Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five teams. Five of the 16 teams in the NFC have a winning record. That's the Cowboys at 10 and three, the Eagles at 10 and three, the Lions at nine and four, the Niners at 10 and three. Then beyond that, beyond those four kind of elite teams, if you will, right? Only one other team has a winning record, and it's the Vikings at seven and six. Everybody else is six and seven or worse. And while I understand that you have high expectations and you want to be there, like what would happen if every six and seven team just fired their coach? It's not going to happen. And and I think what you're trying to figure out if you're the Saints is is where do you fall in this pack where 70% of the league is between eight and five and five and eight? Like where do you fall there? Are you at the bottom? Because if you are, if you're at the bottom of that, then you are a bottom five team in the NFL. And yeah, that's not acceptable and you need to figure that out. If you are toward the top, then you're a top eight team in the NFL, right? And so that's where these these few games at the end, right? Against the five and eight team, right? Are you better than the five and eight team? Do you consider, are you better than the Giants right now? Because that's that's a measuring stick game. Are you better than the six and seven Rams? Like, where do you land in that debate? Because that kind of, you know, and then you have the Falcons, six and seven, and the Bucks six and seven. And I think kind of figuring out your where you are in that race is important. Now, you can say Dennis Allen doesn't have it. Derek Carr doesn't have it. it whatever. There is a scenario where you close out this season the way you needed to. And you feel good about it, you know, and, and Derek himself has been in this scenario before, which I did. I do find interesting, right? You go back to 2021 and the Raiders go into week 15 at six and seven. They win, they win their final four games, which is actually their final. I believe it's their final five games. I can't recall if they lost in week 14 or not. Either way, they won their final four games and they made the postseason and you go into it and you say, great. We figured it out at the right time. We got hot at the right time. They obviously lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Bengals. That was that kind of weird game where there was a phantom whistle blown and and a touchdown, and they didn't 
redo the play. They just let it stand and, and whatever. Like that's the officiating is a whole other question. But I did ask Derek kind of what were the defining characteristics of that team. And this is what he had to say. I think it was 2021, six and seven, you won the last four games. What would you say were some of the defining characteristics of that team that allowed for that kind of hot stretch? It was the closest net football team, closest net any sport team I've ever been on. Um, it, it was really, it was really a unique, special thing um, that if anyone was around our building, man, you could feel like the love that we had for each other and and that energy. Uh, you know, I, me and me and. You know, one of our leaders, we sat down at breakfast today and I could feel this, like this unity, this, we're talking about things that obviously I'm not going to get into, but it's like, it was one of those moments where I'm like, man, this could be it. You know, we got to go do it. You know, and we did not play perfect football at all on that stretch. But one thing we did is, hey, you made a mistake. That's all right. I got you back. Don't worry about it. I make a mistake. Don't worry about it. You got my back. And we had that. So like, that was everything that we were that. I believe that that's what we have and what we can be, but we have to obviously go through that. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think where, where I'm at with it is not, well, winning the final four games and making the playoffs would solve all of your issues. I think you're watching this season and you, you've, you've kind of come to the determination that you're going to figure out where changes need to be made. But I do think that the, the idea of, well, it doesn't matter what happens. It's, it's, it's just stupid. It, it doesn't, it, that's dumb. That, that does not, that's not how teams operate, right? And that's not how teams should operate, right? Like, like paradigms shift throughout the course of the season, but it's, there's this idea that there's an there's a, there's a exact recipe to success that everyone can agree upon and if you like, all you have to do is the A, B, C, and D, and you have a successful organization. In reality, there's 99,000 million different combinations of, of, of personalities, of plays, of, of, of ideas, of, of style that kind of blend into this, this amorphous idea of what success is. And finding it is not as simple as just saying, oh, restart, go start from scratch, go over. It's, it's figuring out what works and building on that and, and and fixing what doesn't work, right? And so I think what where I'm looking is saying, okay, you get to the end of the season, what did work? What were you able to improve upon, right? What is worth building on and what does need to be reset? It's not all just, well, that didn't work. So cut it off at the head, throw everything out in the trash and start over. That's just not what, what competitive sustainable organizations do. And so that's where I'm at with it. You can disagree, whatever. Um, but I, I mean, as someone who watches sports to have a good time, I'm rooting for a team to go out and win their final five games and make the playoffs. And why wouldn't you? Right? Because you're afraid that they're going to stay with DA. Well, I'm sorry, but, but having a miserable time as it happens isn't going to change anything, right? You think like, you think if you're going, if you're out there and booing and this team wins its final five games, that they're going to be like, well, it all, it all worked out in the end. We won 10 games, but they got mad. So we're going to have to fire you. <laughs> you know, just, just go for the ride. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's all I can tell you is just, just it, there, it's a ride to be on and you either take the ride or you don't. 
Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't get this idea of like, okay, they won, but I'm mad about it. Now I'm not telling you they're going to win their final five games. Right. But I, you know, it's funny. You look at the giants coming in at five and eight and it's like, it's a, it's a fan base. That's just a bigger, they're in a similar situation, right? <laughs> the, the, the second year coach regressed, you know, the quarterback they spent all this money on isn't even there right now. He's hurt. You know, they traded away a bunch of pieces, um, but they've won a couple games in a row and they're just seeing, okay, maybe, maybe we do something ridiculous. So that's, that's, that's where I'm at, but we're going to see. And, and I keep seeing people like the Giants are going to smoke us. Well, you, you said the same thing about the Panthers last week. So I don't know, pick a lane either way. That's, that's where I'm at now. The saints have the giants on Sunday. We're going to have Pat Traina who is a reporter that's been covering the Giants for a long time here on the Friday episode to kind of break down all the kind of craziness that's been going on with that team. Uh, the, the, the Tommy cutlets of it all, Tommy DeVito, uh, who I'm very concerned about in terms of he's going to run the ball a ton. Um, but you know, that's, that's a, that's something we can talk about more on the Friday episode and, and how that's going to, that's going to be miserable to watch. But this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You know, just another preaching edition of Inside Black and Gold. And I apologize. I keep doing it, but I just can't help myself, apparently. Um, but all right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close out this segment. Come back and do a live mailbag. Again, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. We'll be right back. Here on Inside Black and Gold. And uh, we're going to get into the viewer mailbag right here. Close out this episode the only way I know how. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a few, you know, as, as, as expected. It's a lot of, I hate Dennis Allen. I hate Derek Carr. It's kind of the, the, the run of the place. Um, there was uh, one person said, what if we lose our final five games? What happens then? Well, I will say we only have. Four games to lose. They already won one. I'm still kind of looking at it as, you know, before last week, you win your final five games. That's why I'm, I'm kind of still phrasing it like that. But as Justin points out here, we do only have four games left. Host the Giants, visit the Rams, visit the Bucks, host the Falcons. So that's what you're looking at. The other one, Justin Passball says, uh, bummer about Miller out for the rest of the season. You think Robinson, who recently signed, will actually make an impact. Kurt, I, I, I didn't, if I, if I miss construed this in any way Kendra is not out for the season I did not in, intend for that to sound like he is out for the season but you know you're going into week 15 and he's been out for quite a while with that ankle injury if yeah, there's a certain point where it's just like clearly a pretty significant injury that has been struggling to come back from and I'm just I'm, I'm just at the point where I'm not banking on him coming back Foskey is, I, w- I would think, is a, is a one that I'm a little more concerned with in terms of not being available just because it's the same injury twice. If you, when you have an injury that keeps you out for th- two weeks and then you come back and you have the same injury again, it's just not good. And soft tissue stuff is complicated. Um, I just think, you know, th- those guys like that, I think that's why you bring in a James Robinson, right? Like a guy who has some 
familiarity with how NFL offenses work as opposed to a UDFA off the practice squad who, you know, I'm sure he's good to have on the practice squad, but it's not ex- exactly a guy who you're like, yeah, 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 he can, he can pick up the slack now. Because if, if Jamal, for example, he's dealing with a groin injury right now, if that gets worse and he misses time, who's playing? Who Who's playing behind Alvin? <laughs> it can't just be Alvin. So I think that's where you're at with it. Uh, keeping it real, who that sports podcast. I enjoy saying that. I don't know why. This is Jeff, your thoughts on Zach Bond now being used as an edge rusher. It seems and sounds like he's taking to playing his most natural position. So this is interesting to me because, yeah, I mean, it's just like, well, why wasn't this happening the whole time? Um, what Dennis Allen said this week, I think is is part is a good kind of explanation for it in that, you know, without Caden Ellis, they needed Zach to be that Sam linebacker. And they had he had to focus on that and he had to do that. And I do think that kind of limits what you can do in terms of he's not just rushing the passer. He's lining up at edge rusher. Like he is lining up as a defensive end on pass downs, on obvious pass downs, not third and five on like third and nine. And he's just flying off and going after the quarterback. He can do that in part because this team has been really impressed with what they've seen out of Nephi Sewell over the last couple of weeks, or at least, you know, Nephi had to start against the Lions. And while, you know, you go through the tape and he had some rough moments early in that game, right? Like the first couple drives, that first drive in particular, you know, you could point and say, well, one of the reasons that they struggled to stop the run so badly was that he wasn't able to scrape over and make plays, right? Like he was getting caught up in blocks. He just, he kind of got lost in the wash a couple of times, particularly on that uh, long Jameer Gibbs run, he kind of wasn't able to get over, and Alante Taylor missed a, missed a tackle, and obviously you saw what happened on the touchdown. Uh, David Montgomery, you know, he wasn't able to scrape over and blah, blah, blah. But as the game went on, as he got a little more comfortable, he started making plays, and I thought he was very impressive, and I think the team agrees with that. And so it, by, I think the idea is now if you're going to go to heavy, you know, base personnel kind of looks, where in the past it would have been, P. Werner at the will, DeMario at the mic, and Zach at the Sam, the Sam linebacker spot. I think now they are more comfortable going with Nephi at the will. And then instead of adding in Zach, you just shift DeMario and, and, and Pete over. And so you have a more athletic, maybe it's smaller, a less, a less, a less you know, run uh, effective, but a more athletic set of linebackers on the field who if they do, you know, they go hard play action and you end up in coverage. You're a little more comfortable with that. And I think with the way the NFL is trending, that makes more sense anyway. And it allows you to just incorporate Zach in your game plan more as a pass rusher. And, you know, I think anyone could have, I've been saying this for two years now, I'd like to see Zach Vaughn be an edge rusher and fly off the ball and get upfield and tackle the quarterback and one of the issues I've had with this team is they don't have enough speed on defense. And it's funny because I would, I, as a linebacker, as a pure linebacker, I would say Zach is one of the problems there. If he gets isolated in coverage, it's over. But when he's able to rush the passer, he is very athletic relative to that position. So I think it's great. I'd lo- I love to see more. Like I think he's going to end up earning a contract from a team that runs a three, four scheme because he makes sense as an outside linebacker, right? Like he's, he's always been an outside linebacker and the saints drafted him because he fell and they're like, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Maybe we can make him fit. 
Um, but now they're kind of using him as a, as an outside linebacker. It's funny because you're going to see the Giants, and that's a team that probably would love to have Zach as an outside linebacker. But you know, I know I think it's a I think it is a very a very nice uh, you know development this season as we've kind of had a necessity. And Justin says the same thing. And and yeah, I mean, I think they always knew that he could do that. These haven't necessarily needed it. But when you don't have Marshawn, I think it does force you to get a little more creative, just like last year, as you uh, generate pressure. So I, I, I'm happy with it. Rose City D, you heard, uh, says, need them Ds to contain outside leverage. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested because one of the things that, again, what Zach gives you is just athleticism. Like he's going to be able to run guys down. And so maybe that, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen them really go against the true, I guess you could say, you could say Bryce is a mobile quarterback, but he's not a guy who's trying to run. He's just running out of necessity. And it's also an offense that just has receivers that can't get open. And he was able to make some things happen, but I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see how a matchup with Baker Mayfield, for example, will go with Zach getting an opportunity because Baker's not a guy who's going to outrun you, but he is a guy who's going to make you miss. And he was able to do that way too easily in that first matchup with the Bucks. And I think if you have Zach in there, it, it makes it, it makes it a little more difficult for him to do that. So uh, I am curious how these matchups go. And, and, and Desmond is a, is another example. Des is a good runner, but he's not the most athletic quarterback in the world. Like he's not going to, not going to outrun you uh, very often. He's going to, he's going to, find a seam and hit it. Um, but he did he he did do that effectively in that week 12 matchup. Uh, Justin Pasquale says, realistically, I see us finishing three and one with our loss being to the Rams. Rams look good against tough Ravens team. Think we win the division or sneak into the playoffs with a three and one finish. Well, that that's the thing. So when you talk about controlling your destiny, which the Saints technically can say right now, it's, it's always kind of couched in, you win all of your games and then you can get in. Well, what happens when you bake in a loss, right? It means that you would need the Bucks and Falcons both to lose a game independent of the game that you beat them, right? Because if you finish with the same record, then I think you would lose both of those tiebreakers. It, you know, obviously there are, there are things that could happen, but in order for you to win the tiebreaker, you would need them to lose another game anyway. So then, so the tiebreaker wouldn't really come into effect. So I think you could, you could get to the postseason with a three and one record. And, you know, I don't think it's crazy to think that the Bucks and Falcons do both drop a game uh, over the next month, right? This is, again, we're not talking about the top end teams. We are talking about teams that have lost a lot of games and have been susceptible to putting out duds. And the Saints are right in that category too. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably the most likely in terms of if you're if you're looking at a game that is going to be difficult to win, it's that Rams game because you're going across country. It's an offense that can put up points. Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua and all these guys, uh, you know, Kyron Williams. They they this is, it's a talented offense, um, but it is a susceptible defense. So can you maybe outscore them? Can Derek Carr play better? Those are all questions that you need to get an answer to. And uh, I know people don't think that last one's possible, but hey, you know, you, you can play the games for a reason. M. Nelson says, Jeff and Ross are the two most positive Saints media folks. I, I don't mind that. I don't. I mean, there's enough negativity 
in the world. I'm okay with with being cast as as the as the hopeless optimist. I think I I I, I consider it to be more realism than 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 just kind of blind optimism. I'm just being realistic about where the team is going to go. Like there's two there's two ways you can go about it. You can either be the type that that t- says what is the right path even if you don't know it. Right? Like like you you can be hardliner. I know what's right and I'm working then they have to do it this way or they're wrong. Which I mean, what who, who are you? Like what do you what do you know? Uh <laughs> <laughs> or you could, I'd prefer to be right in the sense that I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. And this, the screen over my left is flickering for some reason. Don't ask me why. Um, like I'd rather tell you what my read is and what I think is going to happen and what the team is going to do and the cards and the, the chips fall where they may. Right. And, and because, because I'm not a, you know, I don't, I don't see the future. I just tell you what I see and I, and I, and I call it how I see it. Um, as opposed to pretending that I have all the answers, then I don't, but I do think that it's become, it's become cool and in vogue to just be angry and negative and toxic about everything, about anything you don't like. And I don't, that's just not who I'm going to be. So if that's what you're waiting for, Sorry, this is not the podcast for you, but I appreciate uh, everyone being here. This, this is a good example. Lehman Park, you know, like it's always like this. It's like if I had an, if I had a, you know, a, like a, like if there was a mirror and on the opposite side of the mirror is everything I say is like in reverse. I think it would be Lehman Park. It's just, I, our quarterback gives us no chance to win out. Pete Carmichael has no idea how to organize and coordinate his offense. Derek stares down his receiver and no one corrects it in film study. Well, I mean, you first like this is the type of thing. It's like you really don't think that they that they have any idea what they're like they're looking at it in film study and being like, well, no, you're doing everything perfectly. Nothing changes. Of course not. Of course not. What and, and the idea like people, you know, one of the things that I think has created kind of this cult of negativity is the fact that they stream all the press conferences now. And it's not because like people shouldn't be privy to that information. It's just that there are certain ways that questions get answered that it's like you, you watch it and you're like, wow, they've got their head in the sand. They don't know what's going wrong. And it's like, no, they're just not going to tell you in a press conference. Like they're not going to go out there and say, yeah, Derek, fuck this up. You know, so-and-so fuck this up. No, <laughs> they're going to give you the company line. And I think, when things aren't going badly and people are hearing that as opposed to like pre COVID, they wouldn't stream these interviews, right? Like we would, we would tell you what they said and we would interpret them. And, but now it's like people watch it and they're like, I can't believe you said that. And like, I can, because that's kind of how they answer these questions, you know, like for example, like the, the Juwan Johnson uh, ball that tipped off his hands. Right. Uh, If you, I, I went back and watched that for like the 400th time earlier today. And one thing I noticed for the first time is that, if you look closely, if you watch the All-22, if you have access to it, you want to go watch it. I'll, I, I was going to tweet it, but I was just like, it's too much. I, I don't want to try to explain it. But he, he gets caught up on the, on, the, <laughs> on the block. And as you see him come off, 
uh, he can see him adjusting his gloves. I think his glove got pulled off. Like as he's running that route, his glove kind of, he's, he's adjusting it. Then he goes to catch it. And I just don't think he's focused because he's trying to figure out his gloves and the ball tips off his hands and goes for an interception. Now you can see that on film. And I assure you in the building, they're like, what happened? He's like, oh, my glove got pulled off, whatever. But no one's going to go out there and be like, he got his, his glove came off. Because that's going to be an excuse and that's going to be perceived as like they don't care. And it's going to be like that we got to be better. So like, I think that's part of it is, is everyone's very exposed to everything that's being said all the time. And everyone has access to everything that's being said all the time. And so you can interpret it however you want. You can pick whichever version of the answer you want to take and use that. And, you know, uh, I, I just think that sometimes it gets it, that, 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 that gets Using in a negative way, um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, I Derek has not played well. I, I take that back. Derek has not played consistently well. There have been long stretches where you look at it and you're like, "Man, he could be better here. He should be better here. He should be better here." But there have been stretches where he's played well. Like there's this idea that he has been an unforgivable mess in every single game, and that just hasn't been true. You just haven't seen the consistency from him. And so the question is, how can you get him locked in and playing at a high level over these final four games? And he's done it before. Like the reason I brought up that stretch in 2021 is because not only did they go out and win those games, he drove the winning in those games. And so like this idea that he can't get it done, I think that's why it's frustrating because he can get it done. You've seen it in stretches, just can't do it consistently. And so that's the frustrating part. But I do think that... You know, there's no reason to think that he can't raise his level of play over the final month of the season. You just have to see it. And but that's what annoys me is people have already given up on that as even a possibility, as even a remote possibility to the point that if it happened, I don't know how people would even perceive it. Right. Like they've already given up on it. Um, so I don't know. But either way, I appreciate you being here. Um, Justin Pasquale says, Taysom gonna be back this week. The offense just seems so much more exciting and fun to watch them in there. I think he's going to try to get back this week. Um, he was limited today. I expect you'll you'll. It's going to be it's going to be determined by how he how he manages practice this week, right? If he doesn't have a setback, I do expect him to be back. But what's going to end up happening probably is he's going to get back, but he's going to be limited. And he's only going to get a handful of touches, and then he's going to be like, "Why didn't he get this touch and this touch?" And it's like, "Well, he's not healthy," and I don't think you want to put him out there in a situation where he's just not able to protect himself where he gets hurt worse because as we've said before, you know, the way he plays, he's taking big hits constantly. And uh, if, if you, if you don't feel like he can go out there and do what he needs to do to, to protect himself with that foot, uh, then I wouldn't put him out there personally, but we'll have to see. It'll be something that comes Thursday and Friday. Keeping it real. Who that sports podcast is. Can you give us any update on the return of Peyton Turner, Lattimore, Thomas, well, you know, we won't know uh, in terms of Marshawn or Mike, you know, they're eligible to return for week 16. The problem is it's a Thursday game. So you're not, you know, a lot of times you don't even practice in those Thursday, like the, in the buildup to those Thursday games. It's typically just walkthroughs. So if the idea is you need to get him back and see them go through practices, then that makes it very unlikely 
that you know you're going to get them back for that game if they if they're completely healthy it's just very unlikely so i would guess if you get either of them back it is for week 17 and or week 18 and you go from there um, i haven't really heard any updates on either of them i don't think there's been any setbacks in their kind of rehab um, ankle injuries are tough we see that with kendra right now like when you're dealing with a significant ankle injury it can take a long time to kind of get right um, mike is dealing with a knee injury I will say that when you're when you're looking at a guy who's tweeting his 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 butt off like he's not on the team anymore, to me that indicates is a guy who probably doesn't feel like he's going to be coming back. But we'll see. Either way, it's like you got to win with the guys on the field. You got to do it this week, and you probably got to do it next week. So if you can get them back, great. But at the at a certain point, you just got to move forward as if you don't have them and and figure it out. From Peyton Turner. He's been eligible to come back for quite a while now. Um, he's been around the team, seen him, saw him in the locker room the other day. You know, he's working. He's, yeah, I think he's doing mostly just cardio stuff right now. I don't know. It's it's tough to gauge with, with a guy like that. But he's trying to get back. It's not like they're, if the question is whether they're packing it in and saying, see you next year, that's not the case. He's trying to get back. So there is a chance that maybe you see him back um, it's just a question of when they get when they open his practice window. Uh, a couple more. Carr plays like he doesn't trust his line, and it shows. I don't understand how Carmichael hasn't figured out how to correctly run this offense. Run, run, run. I hit him with a play action, uh, which is what, yeah. You know, the funny thing is you look at it in the Saints' offensive line, and, and they haven't been great. Don't get me wrong. Like, but they're one of the, the – they've allowed one of the lowest sack totals in the league. I think they've allowed 28 sacks on the season, which is crazy because I'm pretty sure that they had allowed 12 sacks through the first three weeks. So well, nearly half of their total sacks allowed came in the first three weeks of the season. Then they've allowed 16 sacks over the last – what is it? Uh, how many games have they played? 13. So over the last 10 games, they've allowed 13 total sacks. Now you're doing things to help get the ball out quickly – Obviously, you've run the ball a little better. That helps. But, yeah, I do think that – I, you know, I, I almost think at points when Derek gets into trouble, it's almost that he trusts his offensive line too much, <laughs> you know, because, like, I don't, I don't think the issue is you are getting immediate pressure. I think the issue is you get pressure eventually. And sometimes you just need to make quick reads and get the ball out. You, you can't sit in the pocket and, and wait for someone to hit you. You have to – you have to make – this you have to be decisive and i think when eric and and D derek are getting into it what er what's pissing eric off is the offensive line feels like they are doing a pretty good job and yet the they can only block for so long like eventually someone's gonna beat their one-on-one -on -one and get through and it's like if you're not getting the ball out i can only do so much for you you have to get the ball out you can't just sit there and wait and wait and wait. You have to make a decision. You have to go. And I think that's more of the problem than maybe not trusting the O-line is, is, you know, there are points where it's like, just get the ball down the field. Like you can't just stare down a guy um, and, and then not make that throw. And I think that's been the problem more often than not. Uh, let's see. Brenton Bannister says, I disagree. Why settle for mid or purgatory. And I mean, I don't, I don't think it's settling. I think it's just a, it's a process, right? Like there's this idea that it's not perfect right now. So you give up on it right now and you start over and the, like, and I get it. People think it's going to be better, but I like, 
I, I need you to understand that it's that, that better is not a guarantee, right? Like sometimes it's just, okay, is there progress being made? And you look at it and you're like, I don't think there's enough progress being made. But how, it, where do you fix that? Do you fire everybody? Do you rebuild the offensive staff? Do you get a new play caller? Do you, do, do you, or do you fire the head coach and start from scratch? Like it's all on the table. And I'm just not willing to, with four games left and a possible playoff appearance, be like, yeah, I burn it all down. That's, that's where I'm at. I'm not settling for being mid, uh, but like that's kind of where you are. And if you look around the NFL and you say like, well, I guess everyone's settling for being mid, right? Like, well, I mean, so, so here's the thing. It's like, oh, so you agree that he stares down the receiver too long and makes everybody look bad. Every quarterback makes mistakes, right? It's not always like, okay, he can only do this, right? So it's like, like you're seeing a guy who, when he's not playing well, he's doing certain things wrong. When he is playing well, he's doing certain things better, right? Like, but there's this idea that it's absolute one way or the other, and it's not. It's get better in these parts of the game. And I do think there are points where he stares down his receivers, but he doesn't always stare down his receivers, right? And you need a guy to play better. You know, like the the throw they made against the throw he made against the Falcons, right? Like that's a throw you need to understand. You need to understand what the free safety is doing. And if you don't, then bad things happen, right? If that happened again, I'd like to think that he would handle it differently, right? Like, but that's where you see it. And and of course, of course, there's points in this season where you've seen him stare down his receiver and it and it has been a problem. But like you go into this the second and third quarter of that Lions game and you're seeing him make quicker decisions, see him get the ball out. You know, I I think uh, personally, I think that Derek plays me plays better when people are mean to him. <laughs> so I honestly don't mind the booing because I think it, I've changed my mind. I've 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 come around on it because I think he's a guy that when people are being nice to him, he doesn't do well. I think when when Eric McCoy is like like buck the buck the hell up and he bucks the hell up, right? When he's pissed off that he's getting booed coming on and off the field, suddenly he's playing better. Um so I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the key. Maybe he's just the type of person that that needs to get someone to slap him in the back of the head before he runs on the field. But you can't give him any warning. He's got to do it without him knowing it's coming. And then he'll get mad. And then it'll be like, lock in. I don't know. I don't know. I, some people are weird. Maybe he's weird. Well, see, you know, it's funny. Mithra, Mithra Pi, I don't know if I'm saying that. It says, it's more like when we see, we watch the games than the pressers. Well, well, sure. Right. Like, I, if it was all about the games, then then I would feel differently about the the criticism. And, and you know, part of it's like social media versus versus like fans in the stadium. Right. And when, when you see fans in the stadium and they're booing and it's like, it's typically like a, a performance thing. The only time that in that last game that I, that I took exception to a boo was the first drive when they got down into the red zone and they settled for a chip shot field goal. And it's like, we're booing that. If we're booing that, then there's no winning. It's like, yeah, sure. It didn't go perfectly, but it's also like a successful drive for points and we're booing. Now there was a lot of drives that ended with booze and I'm like, yep, you got it. You are correct. That was bad. Um, <laughs> but like there's the toxicity that exists on like social media. And like, if you watch the chat for these press conferences, it's like, guys, come on. You know, he's being asked a question and responding to it, but there's no right answer. You know, uh, and that's what frustrates me because it's like, it's the guy's not an ax murderer. 
You know, it's just a guy, he's just a football player. And like, you see, like what, what bothers me the most is when you see like his, his family members getting harassed, like his wife getting harassed on social media. Like, it's like, come on, this is like, we can be mad about the football team and not just be terrible. But that's, that's just, that's just where I have. I think we talked about this early on. And so, you know, the Brenton Bannister brings up a question and I think it's a good question. I think it's one we can end on. He says, what happens if we go 0 and 5 these last few weeks? And it's 0 and 4, but whatever. Like the when I say 5 and 0, I mean 5 and 0 starting with the Panthers game because that's what we were talking about before. But if you go 0 and 4, if you lose all four of these games, then all bets are off. You know, like like I think but that's kind of where I'm at is like I want to see what happens before I make determinations on like who has to go, what has to change. You know, I think like I've already kind of come to terms with the fact that I think you need to rebuild your offensive staff in some way, regardless of what happens, you can go for, you know, you, you can figure it out. But I just think what you've seen this season is the offense needs to evolve beyond what you have. And it can, that can include pieces that exist now. I think Cody Burns is a good coach. I'd like to keep Cody Burns around, right? I think Joel Thomas is a good coach. I'd like to keep Joel Thomas around, right? I think Michael Hodges is a good linebackers coach. I really want to retain him. I think Ronald Curry is a good quarterbacks coach. I'd like to retain him. But I do want to find a way to to get this offense to be more modern. And it, and that doesn't mean like you're just you're just accepting Derek Carr as the future of you your the position at quarterback, but I do think that he's going to be here regardless. So you have to find a way to bridge that. But if you go if you go three and one, if you go four and zero, oh, then that makes you know it, it puts you in a position where it's like no, maybe we don't have to burn so much of it down. Maybe we just make some critical changes in places where clearly things didn't go well. Offensive line coach, I don't think that has gone particularly well, right? You know, it, it that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Now, if you go zero and four, if you finish six and 10 or six and 11, I should say, you know, then, yeah, then you're in trouble. Then you have gone backwards and that's, that can't be acceptable. You know, if you go two and two over these last four games and you finish seven and 10 again, that's, that's tough. Um, I'm sorry, that would be eight and nine. If you go one and three or seven and 10, two and two, you're eight and nine. I, I still, I think that means you, you make, you, you look at how that went and the context is going to matter. But I do think there's a chance that you just start fresh. Um, I think it's more likely that you end up at nine and eight, 10 and seven, and and you're making that determination based on how you looked in those games. But I guess I just, everyone wants to, me to come out here and say like, yeah, regardless, doesn't matter. I've, we, the decision should and has already been made. Um, kind of like the Patriots, right? Like they've already kind of made their decision and they'll just wait until the end of the season to tell you. But this isn't a three-win team. Right. Um, so I, I think that's where you're going. But, you know, I like I I'm going to be honest. I don't really like Dennis Allen as the head coach personally. But that doesn't mean like I'm going to sit here and trash the guy relentlessly. Um, that's just kind of my personal opinion. And I think there's better options out there. I think it but I do think it's more likely that you look at it and you say, well, we do want this defense to continue to operate at a high level. We do want to keep this trajectory in certain areas. So could we, you know, and, and like last year, one of the reasons I wanted them to try to bring in Eric B because I think you need a rock star offensive coordinator when you have a defensive head coach. And right now you don't have anything remotely close to that. And so in my mind, if you can find a way to get this to a level that's acceptable, 
and you can upgrade an offensive coordinator and kind of make that as head coach B, like, you know, head coach 1A, head coach 1B, which is kind of what you really want it to be, then I think you're in a better position. So that's that's my roundabout answer to answer that question. But I'm sure I'm sure that's that's not satisfactory for for a lot of people. But all right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for chiming in, leaving a comment, leaving a question. One of these months, I'll get my Wi-Fi figured out, but not today. Um, <laughs> I had someone ask last week if I was hardwired, and then I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try hardwiring through my Wi-Fi extender. And I'm sure based on uh, the the one bar that I have, it's been freezing again. Um, if not, great. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll gladly keep doing that, but. We'll see. Either way, thanks, everybody. Kudat, go Saints. We'll be back on Friday with our preview edition. Let's do it. Peace out, y'all.